Welcome to the Bridge to God's Word podcast with Carla Unseth, a linguistic consultant for missionaries working in Bible translation. We invite you to visit us at www.bridgetogodsword.org to learn more about Carla's ministry. Now, here's linguistic consultant Carla Unseth. Hi, this is Carla Unseth. Welcome to Building a Bridge to God's Word. Today, we are going to talk a little bit more about the Israelites as they wander in the wilderness and as God uses this time to teach them about himself. So once again, I'll just recap for you that the theme of the Bible is the revelation of God's glory, and that is done through the story of human history, which shows how humans lost their relationship with God and God's plan to restore this relationship. So right now in our podcast, we are in the Old Testament, which both works to make us long for a solution to the problem that we have with sin so that we can be back in relationship with God and gives us hope as we see God's plan slowly revealed. So when we left last time, we left Moses outside the tabernacle. God had made a covenant with Israel that would make them his priests to the nations and that would make a center point for his presence to be with humanity. However, Moses was not actually able to enter the tabernacle. So this time we are going to look at the rest of the Pentateuch, the rest of the first five books of the Old Testament, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and see what happens to the Israelites from that point on. So let's look at Leviticus. Leviticus can be a book which is hard to read because it describes a lot of rituals and sacrifices which are hard to understand and, let's be honest, are pretty bloody. So if you would like to see a nice overview of Leviticus and really understand these rituals and sacrifices, I would recommend that you watch the video by the Bible Project. They have a really good explanation of how Leviticus all fits together, how these rituals and sacrifices all work together. But for our purposes, what I want you to see is that Leviticus is a reminder of God as a holy God. So we've talked about how that is one of the themes of the Bible. And so we see in Leviticus that God is holy and cannot be in the presence of sin. So Leviticus shows us what it takes for us to come into the presence of the holy God. Yes, there is a lot of blood. And this reminds us of the incredible weight of our sin and what it takes to overcome that sin. But it also shows us that God wants to be in a relationship with us. So he's making provisions. He's making it possible for us to actually be in relationship with him. So in that way, Leviticus is a book of hope. But even as God is setting up this system, there's a problem. God has made it possible for the Israelites to come into his presence, but the solution isn't permanent. They have to continue over and over again to sacrifice. So even as we have hope that God is making provisions for us to come into his presence, we also see this building tension, the building tension of the Old Testament. We're still longing for something more, some kind of permanent solution to the problem of sin. But, of course, we don't want to forgive that hope. And that's really demonstrated that, you know, we talked about how at the beginning of the book 
of Leviticus, Moses wasn't in the tabernacle. God spoke to him from outside the tabernacle. But then when we move on to the book of Numbers, Numbers 1.1 says, The Lord spoke to Moses in the in the tent of meeting in the wilderness of Sinai. So here, Moses is actually able, through the rituals that are described in Leviticus, to enter the tabernacle to have a relationship with God. So then we move on to the book of Numbers. It's interesting because we ended on this note of hope, and so we move into Numbers with some expectation of what's going to happen with the Israelites. They're going to follow this covenant that they've been given. So when we look at Numbers, we have a few chapters, of course, of the camp getting organized and and things like that. But then our very first little story, a little pericope, the Israelites are once again grumbling against God. It's hard to believe it, but they are saying, why did God bring us out into the desert to kill us? And actually, they're even saying it was better in Egypt. So if we look at Numbers chapter 11, starting in verse 4, it says, The riffraff among them had a strong craving for other food. The Israelites wept again and said, Who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish we ate in Egypt, along with cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now our appetite is gone. There's nothing to look at but this manna. So they are openly berating the provision of God in the manna and asking or or longing for their time in Egypt when they were slaves. It's just so hard to believe it. So God does give them meat. He gives them quail. And if you remember the story, even as they are eating the quail, God sends a plague among them to punish them for their sins, for their sin of disobedience. So this story is again a reminder that people can't solve the sin problem on their own. We tried, first of all, pre-flood, trying to do it on our own. Then in the Tower of Babel, it was tried through establishing a government. And now here you have a free and independent people of God, and that isn't enough. Here you have a theocracy. They've just received the law, and they have a government by God, and that's not enough to solve the sin problem. So... It's just crazy that um, that's not enough. But we see the Israelites um, finally make it to the promised land. And once again, we have hope. Here they are on the verge of the fulfillment of another part of the Abrahamic covenant, the land. They already have a nation. Now God is about to give them the land. So they send out spies into the land to check it out. And the spies return. And what do they say? They say, it's too hard. We can't do it. You know, I think that those spies missed the point of their job. Their job was to go into the land to see how beautiful it was, the abundance, and to rejoice in what God would give them and to say, God is going to give us this. They were supposed to see what God was about to do. And instead, they thought that their job was to see if they could do it, if they could take the land, to see if it was possible. And so instead, they returned in fear. They didn't trust at all in what God would do. So God gave them what they wanted. It's kind of ironic. 
God knew he would be faithful to fulfill his promise, but he didn't force the Israelites to partake in that promise. He will let people walk away and face the consequences. So the great irony is that the Israelites over and over again said, God brought us into the wilderness to die. And when they had a chance to take the land, they refused. So God sent them back into the wilderness to die. And the rest of the book of Numbers is the account of that generation of people as they wandered in the wilderness until that entire generation had died. And that's actually the link between Numbers and Deuteronomy. So when we move into Deuteronomy, you see a new generation. So this previous generation has passed away out in the wilderness, and now there's a new generation and a new opportunity for the people to serve the Lord. So Deuteronomy literally means second law. So if you've ever read the book of Deuteronomy and thought to yourself, this seems a lot like the other books, a lot like Leviticus and Numbers, that's because it is. It's a reiteration of the law for the next generation, a reminder of what God has done for them so far, a reminder of his covenant promises, his power in bringing them out of Egypt, and his faithfulness in the wilderness. So this reiteration of the law begins with a really special saying, a special declaration by God in Deuteronomy 6, 4. And that says, listen, Israel, the Lord, our God, the Lord is one. So this verse is very significant because it declares that there is only one God and that God is Yahweh, the God of the Jews. So actually, In our English Bibles, it says the Lord, but that's actually the word Yahweh, which is this personal name of God that God gave to Moses back in Exodus. So listen, Israel, Yahweh is God. Yahweh is one, which can mean one God talking about the Trinity. Well, I don't know if we'll touch on that later, but that's another subject. But it can also mean there is only one God above all other gods, and that is Yahweh, the God of the Jews. So after this, Moses um, finishes giving them the law, and then he gives them one more thing. And that we find in Deuteronomy 28, and that's blessings for obedience and curses for disobedience. So we've talked about conditional and unconditional covenants and how God made an unconditional covenant with Abraham to make him a great nation give him land, and to bless the whole world through him. But we've also seen God give Moses a conditional covenant that the Israelites would receive God's blessing if they obeyed his laws. So, book of Numbers, we saw the Israelites disobey and receive God's punishment. And now God is reiterating that covenant. If they obey, they will receive blessings. If they disobey, they will be cursed. And many of the things that we see happening in the rest of the Old Testament are a result of these blessings and curses. Do they obey or do they disobey? And we can ask the question, thinking of the overall storyline of the Bible, is it through this theocracy, this government by God of his chosen people, that restoration will finally come? Is this God's final plan? That's our question. So we'll look more at what happens to the Israelites once they enter the promised land in our next podcast. 
But just as a recap for today, we have the books of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. They show the journey of Israelites once they leave Egypt and their initial attempt to keep Moses' conditional covenant with God. So in Leviticus, we see the laws that they will, re- they will need to remain pure enough to be able to approach a holy God. These laws bring hope for our restoration, but they also bring longing as it's clear that they're only a temporary solution since the sacrifices must be made over and over again. Then in Numbers, we have this initial attempt to enter the promised land where the people don't trust God and they're ironically given the fate that they accuse God of wishing on them to die in the desert. We see here that Though God is faithful in keeping his unconditional promises, he allows people to go their own way, which means they will not participate in the blessings of those promises. So then in Deuteronomy, we're once again poised at the doors of the promised land, and we see the Mosaic covenant reiterated along with the blessings for obedience and the curses for disobedience. So the question that we're left with at the end of Deuteronomy is, will they obey? So join us again next time to find out what happens. Thanks so much for joining us on Building a Bridge to God's Word, and I hope to see you next time.